Uh, well, I clicked the start, but it's, it's still tilted. I looked at the other classrooms on the side, and I'm like, what is everybody else about, you know, because of sickness or whatever. And uh, there was three people in Bob's class, and three, I think three or maybe four in the TV class. I couldn't see Jeff's class. Oh, so everyone got his. It's hit, yeah. And I don't think sickness, I think. Sickness and bad weather. Bad weather. Cold. Thinking that the roads are bad. Anyway, good morning to whoever's online or will be online. And to, to everybody that's in class, thank you for being here. Um, just a couple of some quick things just to mention. Uh, the bulletin, uh, there was uh, something I wanted to point out. Uh, so, so we will not have class on January 30th. Uh, that's, uh, we'll have, that's the fifth Sunday. We'll have the Lord's Supper uh, during the main service. And at 9 o'clock, um, we'll be meeting in the um, in the sanctuary for all the Bible fellowships. We'll meet in the sanctuary. So that's the last Sunday of, of January. And um, there's other stuff in here. There's a... Um, you guys should read all of that. Just I do want to mention, though, as I said, no class on Sunday, the 30th. Our cleaning day, I think I got this finally right, is February, 3rd, uh, February 19th. And uh, we'll talk about that as we uh, approach that. Make sure we keep everybody up posted on when we'll clean, what time, what day, whatever. Um, and I just want to mention to pray for the Arnies. Uh, Gwaine is... Uh, doing better he's he's eating he's sleeping occasionally on his own bed but a lot of times he still goes to the chair uh, pain is is better still still in his back and his his um around where the kidney area it's called the flanks it's called the flanks um and uh, uh definitely pray for them because betty um, about a week or so ago, approximately a week ago, or last week, she was, they've had problems with their dryer. Their dryer doesn't work, so she's been taking clothes, wet clothes, to the laundromat to dry them and bring them back. And she was coming out of the garage, going up the stairs, and she had set her basket down, and she went to pick the basket up, I guess after opening the door, and she twisted and she fell. And she hurt her knee pretty bad. Uh, they, she was able to, one of her daughters took her to an uh, emergency clinic. They did x-rays and they said it's not broken. It not, doesn't appear to be anything damaged, but they don't know yet. So just give them two weeks to see how it heals. So pray for them uh, and the Balkans and uh, Desiree. Just remind them. And Bob Klein. Um, Bob Klein, can I say what is going on? Okay, okay, so Bob Klein is, has COVID, and he's in, he's in the VA hospital. He's been there since, um, I don't remember what day he went in, Thursday, I think, about 2 o'clock in the morning. So just be in prayer for Bud, not Bud, I mean Bob Klein. That has, yeah, I spelled his name right. Um, and, uh, and then the last thing is noted on there is that the women's retreat is January 29th, which is coming up. Can I tell them? No, okay. 
Well, she'll tell you after class. Say anything you want to know? Call Julie. You're doing great. You're doing great. Just say, just say come. Come to the come to the the uh, women's retreat January 29th. That's uh, the last Saturday, and uh, I think there's an online. I'm not sure. I think there is an online registration just to kind of get a head count. So just note to that and, and try to come to that. And uh, and so uh, I know a lot of people are out today because of the because well there's a lot of things. But probably the the Intense cold and maybe some people's road conditions are not uh, enough, to, or they're enough to keep them home. So I uh, hope everybody's online. Looks like we've got a few people popping in now, um, and we've had some people that are sick and different things going on. You know, uh, so just be in prayer for the class. Let's just call it a general class, class prayer. And uh, so we're going to turn to Psalms chapter two. I'm going to read verses one to twelve. Uh, for, for that, um, for our prayer, and uh, and I think I'm just going to pray. Uh, I'll pray. I'll pray, and then close, and just go ahead and start teaching. Psalm, Psalm chapter two. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but um, we'll read all of that, and then we'll pray. Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sword of pleasure. Yet have I set my king upon the, my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with the with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you, you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to, <clears throat> to continue to teach the study of, that we have here in Second Corinthians. We just we, we praise you, Father, for who you are and how you move in our lives. We ask, Father, for a prayer for uh, for an intervention for both Dwayne and Betty Arney. We just lift them up to you, Lord. And uh, Lord, I know you know what's going on with them, but we just petition you, Lord, to, to move in a mighty way. Uh, help uh, Betty's knee heal quickly. Uh, help the, the um, help uh, Dwayne uh, deal with his pain and pray for his healing and, and the cancer and all of the treatments that he's going through, Lord, that he would be able to sustain himself through all of that. Pray for Desiree. Lord, as she's dealing with some medical issues as well, and, and we want to lift up Bob Klein as he's in the hospital, Lord, and he's uh, he does need um, he does need prayer. He does need you to intervene in him in his life as well. He's already got his own 
issues uh, before COVID. And so, Lord, pray for both of those. And, um, and we just ask, Father, for your hand to be upon all of the people that are on our prayer list, the church-wide prayer list. Thank you for the opportunity to pray. Thank you for loving us. And uh, we just ask now, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, help us to understand how we can take things that happen in our life and use them as a, as a revelation of the Lord in our life. And we just praise you and thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at. We're, uh, um, we're just moving along here in, uh, in our study. I titled this, your, you, your Life Must Reveal the Lord, and I'll make the point about that at the end. But your life must reveal the Lord. Part of what God asks us to do is that our behaviors, our life, our experiences are a revelation of God. And so let's, uh, let me turn it over there. We're not going to get far into the chapter because this is a chapter as, as um, well, let me, let me start. Let me get where I'm going. I'll read the first few verses and then we'll get into my notes. Okay, so chapter 12, I'll just read the first five verses for now. Uh, <clears throat> now concerning spiritual... Nope, that's First Corinthians. Okay, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ... Above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that when he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter, of such an one will I glory, yet not of myself, yet of myself will I not glory, but in mine infirmities. And that's an, an interesting thing. I didn't really take, have time to address that last phrase in verse verse five, uh, verse, uh, verse 5, I will not glory but in my infirmities. The implication is that he will glory in his, in his infirmities. Uh, and so that right there is part of the point that this, this title of our study today is Your Life Reveals the Lord. Okay, so Paul's relationship with the Corinthians is kind of have deteriorated. When you look at what's uh, going on, and as we have moved through all the first 11 chapters of this, past, of this letter, we see that Paul's relationship with the church had deteriorated. Not because of what Paul did, not because of what the church, well, the church did do it, but really it was because of these, as Paul refers to them as Judaizers and false teachers, they had turned the ear of, and turned the hearts of the believers against Paul uh, and ultimately against God. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, we looked at this last week, verse 13 to 14 says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge of the word of God, were pre was preached of Paul in Berea, they came hither also, these, uh, these Jews, these Judaizers, these false teachers, the, the ones that traveled a, a, a week behind Paul. It's really kind of interesting. They went everywhere Paul went to do exactly what they're doing in Corinth. And Corinth is stuck. It's really, you know, there's not a passage that I know of or, or a situation where they didn't go into another church, like whether it was Berea, they did go there, they went um, uh, to uh, uh, 
probably other other villages and, and towns on his first, second, and last missionary journey. They're always trying to track him down. And he goes on and he says uh, in, in verse 13 of Acts 17, uh, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And that's the problem. The people were being stirred up to something that they shouldn't be stirred up. And it's great to be stirred up. But what should we be stirred up about? We shouldn't be stirred up about... Um, our leadership, we should be stirred up about the lost. Our hearts should be towards the lost. And so verse 14 says, Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul uh, to go, as it were, to the seas. Now, I always found that interesting. There's a, there's a conflict, there's, there's turmoil, there's people after Paul, they're after the, the believers in that, in that area. Yet they sent Paul away. Um, and I know that, I, I, I kind of suspect that Paul didn't want to go. He didn't want to go, but he knew he needed to. So this church, Corinth, was turned away from grace and mercy, and they were turned towards the Old Testament law. Even a large part of the memory, it's amazing when you think about the church, the, 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 the makeup of the church at Corinth. It wasn't all Jewish. There were Gentiles there, yet they're still, they're being turned towards the Old Testament law. And I can understand that if it was a Jew uh, it makes sense that the dispersed Jews would think to return to the Old Testament law, but how did the how did these Gentiles get deceived enough to want to be turned to the law as well? It'd be like somebody coming into HBI or HBF um, and and um, uh, preaching from the pulpit and saying we we must re reinstitute the sacrifice in this church. And they just keep on and on and on about that kind of stuff. And they go around and they, they get in the huddle with people in the middle of the lobby or in a corner of the common ground room or something. And they, in the kitchen, they're, they're all doing what they're doing in the kitchen. And some they're like, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We need to, we need to sacrifice. We, you know, that's the only way God is going to bless his church is when we start sacrificing out back. Build an altar out back so we can do that. Uh, and that's what, it, that's what it was like in Corinth. And yet the Gentiles are like, Hmm. Sounds like a good idea. And that would be a terrible thing for somebody in our church. Unfortunately, I think that sometimes has happened where we think we have to go back to the law. That's usually a one or two, you know, off type of situation. Uh, but we don't need to let that happen. And Paul was trying to resist that in the church at Corinth. Um, I'll give you another example of, of how this happens. The deacon Stephen, if you recall Stephen, uh, his first and only message after he was nominated as a deacon, uh, was in Acts chapter 7. He made this statement in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. Now, in that passage, he's not talking about Paul, he's not talking about Christ, actually. He's actually talking about Moses, that they would not obey Moses' direction. Moses was the, uh, the God-ordained leader of Israel at that point in time, and they thrust him from them, and in their hearts, what did they do? They turned back to Egypt. If you've ever watched the movie Moses, you know, you, know, you got that, uh, I can't, I don't know if he was, I guess he was a Pharisee kind of guy. And, you know, he followed Moses out. And he's like, we need to go back. We need to go back. You know, and it's like, and he's turning people's hearts. So there's always somebody trying to get people to turn back to where God is trying to remove them from. And, uh, and so that was happening in Acts chapter, you know, Paul, uh, Stephen preached about that. I think one of the reasons he was stoned was because he was pointing out their failure. Uh, and, of course, he was preaching about Christ, so that was another reason. Anyway, let me take a drink here.
Okay, so now we don't know all that was said to the Corinthians uh, by these, these people. We don't know all that was said, but we do know that they attacked Paul's character, because that's really where he spends a lot of his time, especially starting in chapter 10, 10, 11, 12, uh, all about that he was finally responding to the, their attack of his, per, uh, his character, and his, his, uh, his message, his wisdom, and his leadership. So all the way starting back in chapter 10, Paul defended his authority in a way, uh, uh, defended his authority as being designated as a true apostle. That was their attack. Paul's not an apostle. He, 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 wasn't, he didn't meet the criteria of apostle. And so they, were, so they were challenging Paul's leadership as well as his authority. Uh, and we talked about that in chapter 10. We talked about six principles of leadership that Paul exhibited that we, that we all should take, not take heart from because you may not be a leader of a church, but every person that's a believer is a leader. Every person that's a believer is a leader in some way, leading their family, leading their friends, their coworkers, and so on people that they have invested in some sort of connected in their life in a way. So starting back in chapter 10, Paul defended his authority as being designated as a true apostle with all rights and authorities. And he made, he made the point, he, I was chosen by God. He's, you know, that's the point that he made. And you, there's really no way that you can deny that about his life. Um, then in chapter 11, we looked at last week, Paul addressed their attacks on his leadership and used their own words. They were basically were saying he's a fool, he's weak, his words don't make sense. You know, they were condemning him in every chance they could get. He said, okay, let me do this. You think I'm a fool? Let me come at you as a fool. And we talked about that. And that actually is kind of bleeds into chapter 12, which we're not going to get into that portion of chapter 12 today, down through verse 13. Um, but that's what chapter 12 is, is about in particular come on page so um, so he, he's una, he, they claim that he's unable to speak well he had no authority and was not worth listening to and people are starting to think well he's not here these people are here. Maybe I should listen to them, the ones that are here. And so anyway, chapter 12 is still tied to the flow of Paul's comments from chapter 11. But we're going to look at a very important doctrinal lesson that uh, will not give us time to really look at the whole point of where Paul is at in addressing these false teachers. So as I've mentioned before, I've, t I've said this before about the book of 2 Corinthians, that it's not, it's a letter, it's not much about teaching a doctrinal position or a doctrinal, doctrinal thesis as it is about examining the importance of the relationship that we have between church and Paul. That's kind of the relationship concept is more of what's important. But every once in a while, Paul would say something that is, that is just uh, steeped in doctrinal uh, necessity that we need to pause and look at it. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take that position this morning. Uh, we'll probably finish a little bit early uh, out of class today, but uh, let's just look at verse 1 again. He says, um, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So, basically what verse 1 is, what Paul is saying here, okay, I could glory, and I've already talked about, I'm not going to glory in chapter 11, I'm not going to glory of myself, I'm not going to lift myself up, puff myself up, I'm not going to say, hey, look at me. And so what he's basically saying is, this is what really matters. 
This is what really matters. There's no value, he says, in self-glorifying. So he said, as he says, it is not expedient for me to glory. To glory about what? He's, that's the point. Uh, because the, the Jewish uh, false people that were coming in, these little false teachers, false leaders, they were glorying about themselves. Follow me, look at me, look at how great I am, do what I'm doing. And you are convincing the, the church that very thing. Paul says, I don't have time for that. It's not expedient. It's not proper. It's not valuable to glory, in particular, in, un, unsta- unstated in verse 1, about myself. I'm not going to glorify a glory on myself. So he's getting to the conclusion of his defense that he started in chapter 11, verse 1, where he challenged the church. Remember what he said in, verse, in church in verse 11, or verse 1, chapter 11? He said, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, and so on. And he goes on, but the verse 1 is the important part. He said, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. Now they're, they're calling him a fool. So he uses the term, the word folly, which is essentially the same thing. He said, Okay, if you think I'm a fool, just bear with me as let, let this fool talk and listen to what the fool has to say. And then he, and we looked at that last week, and he just kind of let them have it, and he clarified a whole lot of things. He's not so foolish as they think he is. And so anyway, uh, so go back to chapter 11, verse 12, because this basically is the whole point of this section, but I believe it's also a very key passage in the whole, whole letter. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And then he he goes on and he connects all of them to their leader, uh, who is Satan. And basically the point is that Paul's saying this, says, um, if you bear with me and listen to what I have to say, he says, I am jealous over you, um, and I have espoused you, and then he lays and he lists all those things out. But that's the verse twelve, I believe, is a is an important passage here. The things that I'm doing, I will do. He's not going to stop doing what he's doing. He's going to cut off occasion from them that desire occasion to to ridicule him and mock him, and he's going to stop that. He's had enough of these false teachers. He's had enough of them parading what they, what they perceive as glory, and uh, and so yet having heard. Enough, he puts the church on notice with the intent to show them that he is no, that they are no greater than Paul. Basically what he's saying is, hey, we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And what's your life look like, though? What is the fruit of your life at the end of, it, of, at the, at the end of your life? What is that fruit? So he's heard enough, and he puts them on notice with the intent to show that they're no greater. And he, oh, by the way, um, let's see, what am I notes? In the verse, as we saw last week, Paul turns their words on them being a fool into the, a lesson on humility. That's ultimately where he's going with it, being humble about who you are as a Christian. That lesson taught him to never seek to glorify himself. And so he understood that because he's gone through it before. Now, okay, so in verse 1, chapter 1, chapter 12, he says, I will come to visions and revelations. And we need to talk about visions and revelations for just a moment. This doesn't mean that Paul is going to conjure up a vision. You remember uh, when uh, uh, oh, 
was the king's name, not uh, before David. I can't. Saul. Saul, thank you. It was right there, but it wasn't coming out of my head, my mouth. Okay. Saul, remember when he was towards the end of his life, he was battling, he was chasing, chasing, uh, trying to fight the Philistines and, and chase down Paul, uh, David at the same time. And he, he, he went to a, a, a witch and he said, can you bring up Samuel? We don't, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about bringing up a vision like that. He's not talking about going back and getting somebody that's dead to talk about what, what, it, what he's making, using that as an example. That's not what he's talking about. Um, what's happening here, he's not conjuring up a vision. Instead, he means that he is about to share a very unique experience that God revealed truth to him, probably in a dreamlike experience, but not a, it's not a dream. It's, it's, this, this is, there's a difference, actually. A vision, and I don't think I put this in your notes very well, but a vision, by the way, for anybody that's online, you know that you can download the, the notes from the class in Facebook. I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, but you, if you want to follow along in notes, you can download them in the PDF file. Okay, so anyway, where was I at? A vision is one method that God uses to communicate by causing a scene to appear and pass before the mind. So God brings an appearance to your mind. But it's, it's similar to a dream, but dreams and visions are different things. Dreams are actually reflections of events and emotions that we have experienced, or either as a part of our life or a reflection of an emotional exposure. So that's kind of how I would separate the two. So a dream, is, dreams are weird. Nobody really understands why we dream. But they are, most of the time, they are connected to some emotional situation that you've occurred. Like, okay, Julie doesn't like watching uh, combat movies, movies that shoot people, any kind of stressful, uh, what's that word? Uh, tense. Dramatic. Dramatic. Yeah, she doesn't like, I love those kind of movies. It gives, it gives her nightmares. You know, scary movies, you know, like, uh, uh, what's that little doll? Uh, Chucky. Chucky, yeah. I mean, I don't watch that anyway, but because uh, I don't want to have dreams of Chucky in my, my in my head. But that's a dream. It's an experience, probably from your past. And of course, a lot of times your dreams they they lay over the top of experiences. And so you dream about something. It's like, yeah, I remember that part. That happened. But this part, I don't know where that came from. And so your brain just kind of intermixes stuff. It lays on top of visions and experiences. But a vision is something very specific. It's a unique thing. It's, a, it's, it's what God uses to communicate by causing a scene to appear and to pass before your mind. So dreams are reflections of events and emotions, but visions are something that God is communicating this. And here's the thing about a vision versus a dream. A vision, a true vision from God, always reflects a future event that's going to happen. That's something that when you look at all the, all the visions in the Bible, all the visions are something is going to happen. Um, so Paul had visions and he had revelations, but these false apostles haven't had those. But he is only talking about out of his necessity to demonstrate God speaks to, that God does in fact speak to him. I need to back up for just a minute because I'm looking for a, to kind of separate these out a little bit better.
yeah, visions refer to something yet to come in a prophetic sense. Basically, a future. Like, now, I think everybody's very familiar with Habakkuk chapter 3. I think it's verse 3, too. It says, write the vision, make it plain. Your vision that you write, that's a, that's a leadership planning principle. Write the vision and make it plain so others can follow that. Now, you're making, some, you're making a, you're a plan, a vision, for something to happen in the future. You know, make a vision. This is what we're going to do. Uh, whether it's a financial situation, you know, you're trying to get out. We're, we're going to buy a house. So we have, to, we have to save this money to get a down payment. That's laying a vision out. So for future profit, that's not a dream. I mean, you might have a dream, I want to buy a house. But you lay a vision out to get to that point of buying the house. So that's the difference between a dream and a vision. Um, I hope that made that clear and not muddy the water too much. Um, so Paul dream, um, he had these visions and these revelations. Uh, and he wants, he, now he doesn't like to talk about his visions. He doesn't like to talk about these things because he doesn't want to glory in himself. Like, oh, I had a vision. It was cool. Let me tell you all about my vision. That's not what he's saying here. So he had visions and he had revelations, but these false prophets didn't. And now, now, at this point, okay, let me show you. I'm still talking as a fool here. That's basically in chapter chapter 12. He's still coming to them as a fool. Um, he's saying, now, I've had visions. And my visions and my revelations, they came from God himself. Uh, so that's how valid they are. That's how valid I am as a servant. So let's talk about revelations for just a minute. These revelations were the result of the visions which Paul learned another truth of, the nature and the power and the wisdom of God. So God gives his people vision about something in the future, but he also reveals, he reveals a truth in that vision. And what did, he, what did Paul, well, that's, that's the point that Paul's making. What did he have a revelation of? So he, go, he gives us a truth through vision that nobody can duplicate. Not even false prophets can duplicate the vision that Paul had gotten. And when you look back on, uh, just as a reminder, when you look back on Deuteronomy chapter 13, we won't take the time to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, God tells us how to identify a false prophet or a true prophet. Um, basically, their word is their bond. What, what the prophet says is the bond that the, the prophet has between God, the prophet, and the people that he's speaking to. There's a bond that's supposed to be made. And so what, they, what they're saying is, what they prophesy must come true, or they must be put to death. A false prophet must be put to death. In, first, in Deuteronomy 13, 5, it says, leading you, if they lead you away, and this is how it's connected back to the Corinthian church, if they lead you away from the Lord your God, they must be put to death. And that's what happened with false prophets. That's what Paul's point is. Hey, these people are leading you away from having a true relationship, a New Testament relationship with God through Christ. Because they're trying to take you back to the law to try to establish a relationship through sacrifice. And that's not a valid way to go. Um, okay, so then in verses 2 to 5, he lays out, okay, let me just tell you what my vision actually was, just so you can know how sincere it is. So in chapter 2, down, verse 2 down to verse 5, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth, such an one caught up into the third heaven, 
And I knew from such, I knew such a man, again, he says it again, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. That's an incredible vision, probably one of the most important visions that Paul could express to us. I mean, Paul probably had a lot of visions. You, know, you could you could make a case that Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia when he was in Troas, and this, 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 the Holy Spirit came down and had prevented him to go in different directions, and ultimately when they got to, not Troas, I think it's Troas, wherever they were at, and he said, hey, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and teach us. And that would be a vision, because that's what he did. It was a future event that took place. He went to Macedonia, and he taught, and churches were planted. Um, but that's, I mean, but he chose this one. He chose this vision to speak about, because this is one of the most important visions that Paul uh, had, and that he could really reveal to us. So, he says in verse 2, verse, this first part of verse 2, I knew a man 14 years ago. Now, the man in this vision is believed to be Paul, and it refers to an event that occurred 14 years ago. Now, without going through all the math and everything, this vision is not what happened, but it is the vision that, ha- that appeared to Paul during the event that happened 14 years ago. Does that make sense? Does that... So there was an event that took place 14 years ago. And in that event, Paul had this vision. So he says, I, you know, he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, and he had a vision. This was the vision. It was caught up into the third heaven. That's the vision, ultimately. At the end of the, you know, just kind of cut to it. That's the vision. He was caught up into this, this person that he sees in his vision. So, um, If you turn to Acts chapter 14, I'll show you where this probably took place. Because 14 years ago, Paul had uh, been saved. He had been uh, trained in the, in the, in the desert uh, by the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, then, he, then he started, then he, he went to Antioch. Barnabas brought him to Antioch so that he could help teach and train and disciple. And then he was sent out on his mission journey. But um, probably in Acts chapter 14, when he's on his first missionary journey, starting in verse 19, there came certain Jews, there came thither certain Jews, oh, there's more Jews coming after Paul, all the way back in his first missionary journey, and they came from Antioch, uh, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, there you go, persuading the people, um, having stoned Paul, so they persuaded these people to stone and to try to, to, to kill Paul. And they stoned him. Now, nobody can survive a stoning in most, most situations. Um, you get hit in the head with a rock a couple times. I'll tell you a story. When I was 14, I think I was 14. No, I was probably 16. I lived here, and we went to Delaware to visit family. And me and my cousins, there were two brothers, we always went to the creek. And just hung out in the creek and played in the creek and stuff. And I was standing on a log that had fallen over the creek. And my two cousins were down on the underneath in the creek bed. And I don't know what happened, but I'm standing on, I, I never saw this come. But somebody threw a big rock and hit me right here in the head. And ju- I mean, if it had been an inch lower, I would have lost my eye. And it hit me in the head. And I, just, I fell off of that, that trunk, the tree trunk, and fell down to the, to the 
uh, ground in the creek bed. And I, oh, I was hurting. I, so I know a little bit about what it means to be stoned. It hurts. In the little sense. In the little things, yeah, in the littlest sense. I don't know how big the rock was, but it felt like it was a boulder. Um, but it hurt. And we went, my cousins thought they knew who it was, so we went to their house, challenged them to for a fight. You know, they wouldn't come out. It was, it was kind of comical thinking about that part. So anyway, uh, so, uh, so Acts chapter 14, verse 19. They came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit all, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed from Barnabas to Derbe. So for that night, he's died. He died because he was stoned. They dragged him out. Some people say he would, they put him in a sack and dragged him out to the dump outside of town. I don't know if that part is true or not, but they did take him out and dropped him off. Um, and let it, and just left him. And the disciples, Paul's disciples, were like, oh, I don't know what to do, you know. And so they prayed. I'm sure they prayed for their own safety. They prayed that Paul wasn't really dead, and so on and so forth. But Paul had this vision. So for, at that night, after he died, he was caught up to a very special place called the third heaven. Okay, so well, that's how you, that's how you read that. That's how I read it. I knew a man in Christ. Well, who would that be? Well, it probably was Paul himself. Whether in the body he cannot tell, whether out of the body he cannot tell. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And verse 3 says, again, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how he was caught up into paradise. So not just heaven, but paradise. And, and not that's not the paradise of uh, Abraham's bosom paradise. That's not the same thing. We're talking about heaven. Paul saw it as paradise and recognized it. He saw it as paradise. He recognized it as the third heaven. Why did he recognize it? Because he saw God's throne there. That's the only way he would have known that that was God, that that was the, that was heaven. Um, in verse five, of such a one I will not, for such an one will I glory, yet not of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. So I died, so I'm going to glorify God because He still spoke to me while I was dead. And so the whole point of all of this then is how was He caught up in verse in, in the second part of verse two? How was He caught up? The phrase caught up is the word that we use for a coming experience that we all know that word would be the rapture so essentially Paul is saying I was caught up I was raptured the word the Greek word is harpazo h-a-r-p-a-z-o harpazo I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation but that's how I say it uh, and that word means to snatch away to seize or to take to oneself to snatch away to take away to grab and that's the same word that we all go to in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, snatched away, harpazoed, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's a, that's a pattern that Paul began from the beginning. He knew what it was like to be raptured. And so Paul now, his, his whole ministry changed at that point, and his messages included... You need, to be, you need to be saved so you can be raptured. You need to be saved so you can be caught up. And that should be our message too. Our message should include, you need to get saved. God wants to save you, but not just so you can have a good life. So you can be raptured. So you can be in heaven. And so anyway, uh, for that night he died, he was caught up. And so uh, the word, as I said, the word is harpazo. Uh, another passage, 
as an example would be Acts chapter 8, verse 39. That's the passage of uh, Philip, when Philip went to speak to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, um, verse 39. Philip is caught away after they came up out of the water, after the eunuch was baptized. He was caught away as well. Now, he didn't go to heaven, but it, but that that's the phrase that was used. And Paul, or Philip, left quickly because God pulled him out of there and, and sent him on his way. And lastly, the, another place where there's a caught up is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. And that is when we're talking about the, the, the woman with the, with the child, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now again, that phrase, caught up, is, this, is the same word as harpazo. So basically, Paul had, and he says again in verse 3, he repeats himself, he had what we would call an out-of-body experience. He was caught up. He was, he was taken up into heaven. Twice he says this, that man, uh, that this man, that he was either in or out of the body, does not sure. And I think that the reason that he's not sure if he's in or out of the body is because he saw no distinguishing marks of being in a specific state. You know, some people get kind of weird about, you know, this is a, a this world that we're living in is not really real. You know, they kind of got this weird thinking about, about themselves. The world is just a superstition, or super, I can't even think of the word I'm looking for. Anyway, the point is that Paul, Paul was not sure at this point. Is he dead or is he not dead? Because he still sees and speaks and feels and acknowledges things. So we already saw back in chapter 5, verses 6 to 8 in 2 Corinthians, that he declares his willingness to leave the body and to be with Christ, all, all, all the while having confidence of being where God desires him to be. Look back, go back to Acts, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul says, it doesn't matter whether I'm in the, in the body or out of the body, I'm still confident. He's confident in what? Confident in what God is doing. He's declaring his confidence that he will be with Christ. He's with Christ as, a, as, as alive, like we are right now, and he's with Christ in heaven. He can't tell the difference. I mean, he's either in the body or out of the body. I can't tell. That's what he's trying to say. And then in verse 4, back there in verse 4, how, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for any man to utter. And so this is the place. This place is called paradise here in this verse, where, we, where he heard words spoken. And this is an interesting statement, that he was not able to repeat so that it is the, the so that's why that's one of the reasons this is the first time that he even spoke about what happened because he he was he was basically told um, at the end of verse four which is not lawful for a man to utter now there's one other person that went to heaven uh, in the New Testament and that was that was the apostle John um, he had the privilege of going to heaven in Revelation chapter four verses one and two. Let's look at that real quick. The difference with Paul and John is that John was commanded to do something. 
Uh, Revelation 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking to me, which said, Come up hither. That's the catching away again, same thing. And I will show thee things which must be, which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set before me. That's how he knew he was in heaven. He saw the throne. The throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne and inside of, in the sight like unto an emerald. Okay, now, so that's interesting. He's, he's, he's describing, Paul's, John is describing something here. But go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, and then verse 19. Because this is the difference between Paul and John. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. In verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be thereafter. Paul was told not to say anything, not to write about it, not to describe what you see. Just keep it quiet. Hold it to yourself and use this as motivation in your life to go about witnessing to people so that they may be saved as well. Now John, John was told to write, and John did write. He wrote the book of Revelation. That's how we got that. Uh, let me go back to Corinthians real quick. Okay. The third heaven. I want to talk about, in the few minutes that we have left, this, this term, the, the third heaven, because... Uh, I know I was, I was I was looking at something online last night and I don't know what it was I don't remember now but you, I saw the phrase seventh heaven. There are no seven heavens because if there were the Bible would have specified seven heavens. Um, but there are three heavens because we know because the Bible says third heaven. So anyway, in verse two, Paul is at least Paul at least can tell us now that heaven is a place that is segregated. It's a place. That's the first thing you need to know. Paul says heaven is a place. Heaven is not a thought. Heaven is not a feeling. Heaven is, I mean, some people say we're on, we're in hell right now on the earth, hell on earth and all that kind of stuff. And heaven is, when it's not on, you know, like this. Yet, sort of, but he's talking, heaven is a place. And that place is actually segregated into three partitions. It's segregated into three partitions. So, now, in Genesis chapter 1, in the King James Bible, it's very clear says the in the beginning God created the heaven singular heaven and the earth and, and so there's heaven heaven had heaven had a purpose heaven had had an appearance it was it was one then it was one thing uh, and at the time and Isaiah I think Isaiah 66 verse 1 says that the Lord the heaven is his throne thus saith the Lord the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool uh, where in the house will you build unto me? Where is the house you will build unto me? And what, where is the place of my rest? It's really interesting that, well, I, don't, I didn't have time really to, to lay this all out in, in, in detail, but the, the shape, of the, hev- the, shape of, of the heaven at the time it was created in Genesis 1 is like a, like a, uh, a, a teepee, or probably a better would be a mountain. A mountain shaped like a mountain where it comes up into a point. And the earth is right at the very top. 
and the throne sits here, uh, and God's feet rest on the earth at the beginning when he created um, the heaven and the earth. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 and 35, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I swear unto you, I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, there's three heavens. We've identified that. This is kind of a quick uh, review, hopefully, for many people. The first heaven is our atmosphere. So, basically, you have the dirt, and then you have a space that's above that before you get to the throne. That would be before we get to outer space. That's the heavens, the first heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere of our earth that was created when God separated the firmaments in Genesis chapter chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 68, it says, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which are above, under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning of the th- second day. So God's separating out and re and Genesis chapter one is not the the creation of the heaven and the earth. It is a recreation because of the destruction that took place um, because of sin, because of Lucifer. So the first heaven is the atmosphere. Uh, Genesis chapter one verse twenty. This is how you know we're talking about the, the sky above us, the blue skies. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Birds fly in heaven. Birds fly in the space above, which is the the atmosphere. Um, And, of course, man has to divide that up into different stratospheres and different things. But anyway, um, so that's the first heaven. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 25 says, I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months with great famine, when great famine was through the, through the land. So Elias, back, if you go back to looking at Elias, he basically said that it will not rain for three and a half years. So that's what Jesus Christ now is referring to that, 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 there was, that the heaven, the, the atmospheric space, was not, wouldn't, it didn't rain for three and a half years, around, anywhere on the earth. So there's the heaven, first heaven. The second heaven is the expanse of what we would just call outer space. This is the expanse known in, in, uh, in the Bible as the great deep. When you see that phrase great deep, it's actually referring to that space from the end of atmospheric uh, conditions in our, above the earth all the way up to the throne of God is, the, is, is, the outer, is outer space. The book of Job reveals a lot to us. And when we had time, we would really dig into the Job into Job uh, and reveal his purpose and character. There's some verses that you could look at. We won't take the time to turn there. Job chapter 38, verse 8 to, 20, 8 to 10. Job chapter 38, verse 30. Job chapter 26. Are these in your notes? Yes. Okay. Job chapter 26, verses 5 to 13. But I will read two verses. Matthew 13, I'm sorry, Mark 13, 25. And the stars of heaven, the stars of heaven, that's not just a quaint phrase. That's a specific identification statement. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Uh, that shaken, that in Job, Job chapter 38 verse 30, the waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. 
Um, and then Paul talked about, and I think that's in, in the next chapter, he makes a reference to, um, I think it's in this chapter. No, it's not this one. He makes a reference to looking through a glass, which would be the reference to the, to the, um, Frozen top of the of the unit of the of heaven. Can't find that passage. Oh, we're chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also as I am known. So that looking through that glass darkly is that frozen expanse. And then there's one other verse that I didn't put in my notes that I wanted to mention. And I think it's in Job chapter 26. Seven of Job chapter twenty-six, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So there was a time when the earth was a footstool, where God would sit at His throne and His feet could be properly on the earth, and it will be properly on the earth again. I think it's a very interesting comparison that when Christ returns, I think is in Joel, that His feet will one foot will stand on Jerusalem and one foot will stand on the Mount of Olives. And so his feet will be back on the earth uh, for, the, for eternity. But anyway, at some point, there was sin. God had to move the earth. I use the phrase sometimes when I teach this in more depth, the quarantining of the earth, and pushed it away from his throne out into the middle of the universe. And he hung it on nothing, so it's just kind of hanging there in space. Uh, so that's in the second heaven. It's no longer at the third heaven. And, uh, and so anyway... Let's get to the, um, let me make this statement. So the water, verse Job 38, 30, the waters are hid as with a stone and the face of the deep is frozen. So this frozen surface is the platform for the throne of God and it serves as a division between God's throne in the third heaven and the spiritual realm of Satan in the second heaven. <clears throat> Satan was cast out into heaven, but into the second heaven, not on the earth, now he, does, he, he can come into the, throne but only at the, at the with the permission of God himself he does that we know he did it in Job chapter 1 so after the fall of Satan he was cast into the expanse that we now call that we know, know as the second heaven Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 he said tell us that Satan it tells us that passage tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air he's also known as Leviathan and so on and so that's the second heaven and the third heaven you get to the third heaven. This is where Paul was caught up to. He was caught up to the third, to the abode of God. In Isaiah, I already mentioned Isaiah 66, verse 1. It says, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Where is, where is the house that you're building for God? And where is the place of his rest? And then in John chapter 1, verse 51, it says, John writes, He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Here, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, 
and the angel of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. But that, that heaven there is where the throne is. Okay, so anyway, so there's three heavens. That, that was about as far as I could get, and we're almost out of time anyway. Um, so we'll, let me go back to 2 Corinthians real quick. We will uh, we'll continue studying this passage out, this chapter out, over the next couple of weeks. And, and uh, we're getting close to the end, actually. We only have one more chapter after the 13th, after 12. Um, so, okay, so we're going to hold up here. But here's the point of the lesson. And I titled it, as I said, I titled it, um, your, your Life Reveals the Lord. So here's the point. We all need to have a unique, we all have, um, we all have had a, re, a unique experience getting to see God in some way, some fashion, where we can put that to, uh, to use. We can put that, revela- that a re- our personal revelation to ourselves. We don't have to go into all kinds of um, details with people, but you've experienced being in heaven. You know why you know how you know, how you know that? Because of what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. I think it's chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Where we are seated together where? In heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that's right now. So we have that experience just like Paul does. We're kind of like caught up, but we're not caught up. We're in a body, but we're not in a body. And, and it's maybe a stretch, but I'd see some parallels at least. That we need to be able to take our experience and use that as a tool to make the declaration that God is real and that he wants them to be in heaven as well. So he had the approval of Godhead when he was made a minister. Uh, and so, uh, and Colossians, just I'll, I'll finish with this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Paul says, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So that's what Paul has done. He's given us his word. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll be done. Thanks for everybody being online. I hadn't had a chance to see who all is there. Uh, but um, uh, glad, you're, glad you're hanging out with us vir- virtually. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for the, the, uh, the power of just a statement and all the doctrine that pours out of that. And we didn't even really dig deep into that doctrine of the, of the heavens, the three heavens, what's in the heavens, how do we know what's contained in them, and so on. But Lord, we did learn a lot today, and we're thankful for that. We ask for your blessing on the rest of the day for our guest speaker this morning. Lord, that you would empower him through your word, through your spirit, to accomplish what you need to have accomplished in every person's life that is listening to the word being preached. And we just thank you and praise you for it all. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see everybody later. There's a... There's, um, There's a lot. All right.